welcome to the first offline recording episode of the journal of knowledge podcast and today i have with me my very good friend and also a person who has been panelist on this podcast for multiple time mr ashwin channel welcome ashwin and today we have a very good beginning on a new type of podcast episodes that is based on a mix of both fact and opinion and it will be held in a conversation style than just merely a Q&A session. Hi, Jairam. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me on this podcast again. You know, listening to all your podcasts and regularly updating ourselves. And kudos to you for all this. Uh, you know, um, and um, with regard to the new conversation style, I guess it'll be much easier for people to listen to um, a conversation rather than just another um, questions and answer like interview. Yeah, and I guess uh, we just go forward with the topics that we've decided for today. So what we have decided is we will take some examples or a few topics which we have decided beforehand and continue to speak on it, both fact and opinion based on the topic, explaining what the topic is. And also each individual will explain their own personal views and what they think about the particular issue. Hope that's fine, Ashwin. Yeah, that's that'd be fine. Okay, so as case studies, we are taking examples of few issues from Kerala, our home state, then India, our home country, and of course, the international issues as we are present in a globalized world right now. So we can first let's talk about the most controversial and an issue I think which has been in the headlines for past few months and the recent developments associated with that issue that is the K-Rail and the controversial Silver Line project. So I would like to begin with your views on it. I hope everyone should have some kind of background before knowing that. And yeah, Hishin. Yeah, um, um, this is basically, uh, you know, um, um, about, uh, just an opinion per se, because um, everybody um, is bound to have their own, uh, bound to have their own opinions. Uh, and looking at uh, somebody who travels a lot um, within Kerala, I mean, for somebody who's a consumer, who's a to-be consumer of K-Rail, I guess it'll be something that is, you know, great for most of us, where, you know, um, the main point being um, somebody who travels by train a lot, um, like from Trivandrum to Kasargod, I guess um, about um, in that whole stretch, I I mean, um, according to statistics, about 36 to 37 percentage of the whole, you know, um, whole line is full of curves and bounds and all that. And because of all those curves, the issue being that um, the speed of the trains has to be reduced. All right. Um, and this will lead uh, and that will lead to, you know, taking more of time and taking the whole travel between Trivandrum um, to um, Kasagod um more than about um, more than about 12 13 hours yeah i guess just interrupting yeah so what he's speaking right now is about the conventional yeah. indian railways railways which has a lot of curves lot of speed restrictions and as well as lot of stops yes yes a lot of stops too and even even being uh, even in an express train too these cars are actually hindering a lot of issues and plus um with regard to um the current status of the trains there are no walls or anything that was proposed in the silver rail, uh, silver line project and so what happens is the speed is tentatively reduced and 
uh, with the intact of the silver line i guess the krl or the project i guess you no know, we can go ahead with it but at the end of the day uh, again as a consumer as somebody who's used to what the uh, indian railways are offering as a price to what um, it is i guess um, the prices that they were um, you know proposing is a bit on the higher side that not many people can be using it uh, tentatively like the kochi metro right now where um, the prices even though it is kept at uh, 50 to 60 rupees which is the highest fare i guess um even a lot of people are not able to use it on a daily as i just uh, another um, you know face of kochi um, that is there even though um, you know, i guess it's about 1 to 2 crores of loss every day that is the kochi metro is um, you know uh, using up of people's money just to uh, go ahead with the running cause so this is what i particularly feel with regard to kerala such and um, again um, the real issue um, you know this is point of view of a consumer the next point of view will be from a person who has to give land Uh, for the kerala project to happen so where is this land happening you no know, uh, land being taken from what is the alignment with regard to uh, you know where through is is going through and how many stations are there who is going to do money uh, who, what is the amount of money that people are going to get so a person from uh, you know who will look from that point of view giving um, land kerala is kind of like as in kerala being a small state and with regard to people not having so much of land as of now and the problems that you know that have are that are you know recent due to the processes that you know people have done for the land acquisition i guess uh, people have kind of like resented uh, about the project so this is what i personally feel the two pin two opinions that are existing in society and again the third um, opinion is always uh, the beholder who has no effect of you know kerala because at the end of the day it is just going uh, just going to be another project that people are going to look for uh, you know the government is going to boast about so that's what i personally feel other opinions i i feel that you know um jaram would have uh, more to say about this can understand what you actually said about the plus with respect to what silver line project has to offer to the people and i agree with that like we have a lot of benefits especially for a person who has to travel from one end of the state to another given that the capital is located at the edge of the state it's yeah. not in the center so for it to get connected to all the other districts it's quite hard and silver line project might reduce the travel time from 12 hours to 4 hours mm-hmm. so that's indeed going to save a lot of time especially for a person uh, who would like to travel from one place in kerala to another and of course there are over 11 stops and 10 districts are going to be covered in the entire project and i think it might be just a starting that project might get expanded in future maybe from mangalore it can start mm-hmm. it also can be extended to the southern parts as well at the same time from a policy perspective mm-hmm. so there are a lot of practical implications as well as playing the devil's advocate mm-hmm. how are you look, going to look at the different challenges right now mm-hmm. the land problem the financial problem and of course the political problem mm-hmm. all these three are the main weapons which are being used against this project mm-hmm. against the government mainly because we know kerala is now in a very big uh, state of debt yeah the revenue is down 
and also the damage by the covid-19 pandemic and before that by the floods and also how can we afford such a big project at the same time we also have the challenge of the land mm-hmm. but even in the case of land what i feel is even if you have to expand the roads in the state it will be much more tedious to get that land while compared to this rail project especially because the areas which are going to be connected are almost in the rural areas where it is easier to get land than in urban areas where we have more roads and highways mm-hmm. and also given the loose state of railways in the state with lot of stops and lot of i think there may not be future for indian railways to incentivize more development in kerala even that's what the railways have said mm-hmm. that we are not interested in kerala's rail development because there is no option for freight because that is the area where indian railways get a lot of revenue so in that case why should they invest more in passenger services mm-hmm. so in that case krl itself being a central and a state it's a joint venture yeah, yeah. so of course center is supporting it even though they may not actually say it openly and of course the state government is backing it we need to see how far we, uh, the project will go and also the people's opinion it has to be given importance especially in rural areas where the ruling party itself is facing lot of challenge because even their own voters are not trusting the government mm-hmm. but given that this government has a decent record especially in land acquisition even mm-hmm. they initiated the gale project mm-hmm. they started the highway project and they also were in charge in giving people the money for the land mm-hmm. land they actually buy so even the even in that case we can see how the government has done it well and they just have to do the same in the silver line project and also the environmental concerns also have to be given equal importance but given that um the project as such doesn't touch in ecologically sensitive areas and lot of importance has been given to the green initiatives including how we can expand in future also this would be a electric project so there won't be much carbon emissions so in that sense we have to look at the long term benefits and i guess that's my personal view on it yeah again um this is um with as a project it is amazing when you look into uh, a point of view of a development but again with regard to uh, kerala being a state where you know that many uh, again uh, talking about you know what struck me most from what you said was the fact about kerala being one of the um, states with the most highest debt according to rbi you know um, which the rbi recently put out a statement saying kerala being the highest debt and so um, Uh, that that being a problem and uh, you know a lot of uh, currently the swift has having um the swift program that the state government started the company that they started having a bit of issues there to i guess um there should be some mechanism where they you know um, try to maintain maintain some kind of profit uh, with regard to um an a project like this right even um kochi uh, i mean comparing it to kochi metro again right now uh, being because at the end of the day uh, even though it is a government project profit is necessary for uh, the betterment of the so called project as such because at the end of the day this is what i mean a well maintained uh, metro service or a carrier service is what everybody is looking for to and maintaining it only comes when people use it 
right so uh, that's what um at the end of the day it should be something that everybody wants to use rather than uh, and i guess you know um as something that it is a central government or state government partnership i guess there should be some kind of private uh, you know uh, equity into this too because that uh, can help a lot because of the current uh, i mean the current private train that came out in computer i guess that has a huge receiving a lot of people have been you know exposed to it and the common people you know have been exposed to what you know a better service uh, that they want so i guess um that can all be inculcated into what kerel uh, will bond up to so i guess that's what i have to say in um, you know general food for thought for a lot of people who are listening right now even if we postpone the project i don't think that's going to be any helpful mm-hmm. because the cost of the project will only increase increase yeah and also it's a costly project and in no way can a state mm-hmm. in india can anyway afford it mm-hmm. so either the center has to pull in a lot of money or else we have to look for options like loan like mm-hmm. jaica has been doing lot of funding for different projects in india i think that's the way forward and also rather than looking at lot of profitability which people actually look most public funded enterprises don't actually get lot of profit okay. and its importance is given for uh, providing service to the service to the public so i guess that's important mm-hmm. so i think we can end the topic right now and move on to the next to the important verdict that happened in kerala bypol election that is trikakara mm-hmm. so as a person who is living close to trikakara and also having our college mm-hmm. in trikakara so how do you see the verdict as such and its impact on the politics as such yeah uh, trikakara um, per se as somebody who was you know a voter at that uh, a voter at that point somebody my constituency if i have to put it out there um it, it's something that i uh, you know noticed really closely uh, as to what kind of politics was being played out and what, how people were you know ramaging each other i i understand it was uh, an important uh, statement that everybody wanted to make but um, it, um, rather than a, you know um, rather than a um, Uh, bipartisan election this was clearly a tripartisan or a triangular election per se even though the uh, you know uh, even even though the um, candidates which was fielded by the third uh, the bjp that is there even though he was not so strong that everybody look into but you know um, the amount of money that was being pulled into the amount of um, uh, effort that everybody was putting into these elections were large because you know every evening in a lot of places around kuch trikakara the whole constituency you could see um, the um, you could see all three of the con- contestants coming out talking to people and uh, spitting it out but at the end of the day the competition was very fierce you know um, um, people uh, people had this um general cons- i mean kochi being uh, so called uh, you know um uh, so called uh, udf yeah uh, udf stand for everybody was i know it was generally accepted that you know it was going to be but then as somebody who looked into the politics and following all the politics i felt that there was some kind of left leaning as say because i felt that the you know uh, vote share was going to increase for the left uh, over here um but i guess uh, that's what happened too but you know at the end of the day uh, i guess there was some uh, lot of people you know again going back to the general trend but uh, i guess the, politically speaking this is something that was expected 
by everybody even the opinion polls put out by a lot of uh, channels and everybody said this too but again uh, you know um, the candidate that the left posted was uh, uh, was completely different from yeah. what usually they uh, put out he was not somebody who was in active politics he was just uh, he was active he was active in politics in his college days uh, college days but he was a professional he was a doctor he was uh, he was a very established doctor so uh, i guess uh, this was uh, an experiment that the left tried in kochi because i guess that too this was this time it was on the party ticket yeah earlier it used to be just independence yeah uh but here uh, most most of the times it was independence here in trikakara constituency and this too uh, and i guess uh, this was a co- uh, experiment that they wanted to try out because of uh, the amount of professionals that existed in kochi and the uh, whole uh, const- sorry trikakara constituency and all that but i guess uh, at the end of the day uh, you know um, sadly uh, the whole uh, religion and the whole uh, thing happened because um the whole point of the polarization yeah there was this whole polarization that happened again um sadly speaking um the church was involved to a large extent there were uh, you know th- there were uh, political debates or political name calling and uh, accusations saying that the left and the uh, left and the udf were putting out names because of this particular um uh, religious group that existed as a majority in the um uh, constituency and um it it, ne- it never occurred to a lot of people that um uh, i mean there was a confusion as to what the church stand would be because uh, that was something that i wanted to look out but i guess the uh, the church and um the whole Uh, i mean i guess they maintained some kind of neutrality throughout the uh, um throughout the election process because that was something that was very well looked out of because usually during elections there are some kind of uh, some kind of name calling or some kind of special prayers which are taken out um uh, during uh, um, churches and all that which was ha- which was very regular in uh, anaklam per se i guess uh, that did not happen this time and uh, that was something that was a welcome um, you know a welcome trend that i found but again uh, that is what i found with regard to that but at the end of the day uh, looking into the um, way in which they were you know t- talking to each other or the way in which uh, parties were ba- name calling and bashing it was kind of um, it was kind of sad to say uh, and i had to particularly point out the bjp uh, there you know those um jeeps with loud speakers on them they were literally um, you know it, it was a very regressive way in which they were campaigning at the end of the day they were literally uh, literally telling uh, if i have to you know just change to malayalam for a few seconds um uh, they were telling to you know save their um, save their girls from love jihad literally um nammada makkale love jihad ennu rakshapeduthu ennalla oru vakyam so in the sense um whatever i just said was blurted out in on the center of trikakara as in right next to the uh, collectorate building and uh, that that kind of like a campaigning i was totally i mean personally for it really uh, you know um even the last day last day of the campaigning even bjp was successful in bringing pc george mm-hmm. that to just the day after he got the bail yeah. and when he was asked to uh, come for questioning he instead chose to 
attend a campaigning function in trikakara yeah and uh, the thing he um, no cited that he didn't want to come was because he was sick but i still found him there so and the accusations though the accusations that parties were making against each other the left and the odia were uh, pretty much um, decent if i have to put it out even though it seemed a bit off hand but i guess uh, bjp was trying all hands in i don't know uh, they i don't know if they had uh, why they invested so much but i guess it was uh, such pathetic show of um, i don't know the songs what uh, i guess that's something that um, you know uh, affected me as a voter and uh, which totally you know took away my stand as a Uh, voter here uh, and influenced my stand as a voter uh, over to you so i am not a voter from trikakara but of course as a resident of kochi and of course a place which influences a lot because trikakara has a lot of places of importance for kochi more than the ernakulam constituency or even any neighboring constituency as such true so as such what i personally think is it was a lot of hype <laughs> there was a lot of hype in the entire contest even we felt that maybe at a time that lf might try a surprise but that thing never happened bjp might get a lot of votes which mm-hmm. never happened they decreased their votes and even at a point that maybe when udf lost the game in between mm-hmm. that never happened that's one but given the concentration of the entire state power into one constituency that to in a area which is considered to be a sea of blue Mm-hmm. of congress ldf tried to barge in like a wagon but it should be an experiment for them i don't know from here if they can go ahead with that but okay. given that lot of areas are there in kochi corporation asset which have been traditionally udf and some portion of the trikakara municipality which has been aligned to ldf but added both i guess it's again advantage to udf and also the influence of church the regional parties and also the different religious groups as such and also i guess the, talking about the influence of church is we generally know what the stance of the church is so they don't have to call a meeting every election time to just to say okay you have to do like that or this and that so it's actually understood and also given to the polarization and the extent of which the rhetorics changed at first we can we could actually see both ldf udf and also at a point of time t20 and amadmi party were also there mm-hmm. talking about the developmental projects which included the silver line project the metro the water metro and the drinking water project that were being talked a lot after that 2020 dropped mm-hmm. out of the race then it came into the sympathy votes mm-hmm. then it it went into how the Uh, candidate of the LDA was associated with the church. Mm-hmm. Then the acquisition went this side, that side. In between the uh, video of the Dr. George Joseph, right? Yeah. The fake video issue, mm-hmm. and it went into a different level than what was actually intended to be. Yeah, true. And then again, with regard to the sympathy votes, I guess um, um, TP. Um, if, if I have to respectively refer to him from now on, I guess uh, he was some uh, somebody who was very well respected, even though he was not from Arnakulam. Uh, I guess from where he came, um, I guess Padanamthitta, right, or Idiki, Idiki, and um, being somebody from here, as an MLA, I guess he um, his um, 
his achievements and what the relationships he has i guess that had a lot to pay uh, play in um, how his wife won the uh, constituency uh, again uh, i guess um, with regard to joe joseph um, how well um, again this all comes boils down to what kerala wants or what we as malayalis want uh, as a a legislate uh, somebody who is a representative in a legislative assembly we would uh, generally want somebody who has some experience in uh, or some or uh, you know looking into that point of view i guess uh, we are used to voting for somebody who has seen uh, some kind of or political backing or has been in a family where there was some kind of i guess that's what um, generally malayalis look or look for in a, um, a, a candidate and uh, even though slightly you know um, moving uh, for we have grown a bit where we have you know voted for people who have just moved into politics i guess but generally speaking the malayali society wants somebody who has some political lineage or has political experience so uh, sashi tharoor per se looking into that uh, um, I, I, when he first became the mp i guess uh, you know um, i was really excited because he had no political lineage whatsoever but being somebody from the united nations being somebody from there i guess uh, his you know um, his, professional touch uh, yeah the professional whatever he did but so i thought that might um, uh, reciprocate here in kochi but that did not happen for some reason so on but again all uh, it was a level playing ground for all parties here it and uh, i guess it was something that came out beautifully but you know this is again a reflection of what the kerala society wants and uh, i guess we are more uh, this election particularly points out that we are more traditionalistic than uh, what uh, the whole country actually feels like i think it's a mix of both mm-hmm. ruling party tried to portray it like you should vote for the ruling party mm-hmm. come what may mm-hmm. otherwise it's your loss but i think that's a contradiction because democracy is never about ruling the same party again and again mm-hmm. and also there is nothing wrong in voting the opposition true so given that the field has already been a strong area of opposition as such they were bound to win but at the same time they also the voice was more anti incumbent mm-hmm. against the government so whatever they had to say against the government got concentrated in the hands of udf candidate that's also why we can see a lot of bjp votes Mm-hmm. getting shifted to udf also the 2020 votes again going to udf yeah. so in that sense it's it was a direct bipolar fight between the incumbent and the opposition and also sympathy votes mattered the com- uh, communal votes mattered and the issue of development projects because trikakara has been uh, the center of kochi metro mm-hmm. and also the silver line project debate also the inability of the policy makers to extend the metro as well yeah a lot of issues played out and i think it was a good mix of politics as well as policy mm-hmm. but compared to the initial phase of the campaign which which was more civilized and understandable for the public at the end it became totally political with all the sides yeah it it was a dog fight it was, yeah, a, it, was it, it was a blatant a dog, dog fight with a lot of blood uh, being thrown around here and there and uh, uh, at the end of the day um, i mean during the end of the campaigning days 
um i guess uh, the whole uh, sect from i guess even drive chain was here in trikakara um in uh, towards the end um a lot of people i guess uh, did rahul gandhi turn up no right rahul mm-hmm. no rahul gandhi but then a lot of star wars from the udf of um, udf bastion star wars the whole ministry from oh, uh, from the lf i guess uh, to such an extent amit shah was here uh, right during that uh, uh, time and um, um the whole campaigning was gone so uh, again um, even the whole nation was focusing on trikakara um, at that point of time so i guess this was something um, that we as keralites put forth to the nation that you know, we don't want uh, people i guess a lot of again uh, again with the religious vote i guess the whole resentment against the central government was also seen there in trikakara and i guess that is why uh, that is also played as one of the reasons why bjp vote share decreased we could also i mean speculate uh, yeah so that can also be a reason why you know all vote share decreased and even though he is a uh, minister of state um, the person who was not uh, okay uh, so he was there and so yeah so um, yeah even though uh, he was somebody who he was, was a the state leadership yeah you know but uh, i guess he should be somebody you know um, who was uh, put forth by the bjp and so i guess uh, that's something that we should look into okay i think we can now talk about the next important topic that was about the polarization in kerala with respect to the issue of pfi and the incident that took place in the late week of may mm-hmm. i guess uh, uh, being uh, from the P, uh, pfi and all that i guess polarization or being uh, let's say uh, the right wingers is what we have discussing more of right rather than polarize uh, rather than talking about anything else it's about the extent of uh, the right wing and how uh, how people are moving towards it and i guess the general trend of political world politics uh, is um, that way um, i mean we've we've had this discussion earlier in the podcast where you know we've discussed about how the right wing and how it's um, uh, taken up in here but especially in kerala um, you know there is this um, the minorities um, the so called minorities in india here uh, have voices is what i feel and it is being heard and uh, the fact that um you know traditionally historically speaking um kerala has been you know the the connection with the um a, a connection with um all over the world uh, i guess uh, kerala kerala's political alignment basically moves towards that kind of a way where uh, you know when they we are very religious that too so then what happens is when you see some uh, you know like for example uh, back then you would uh, like the way people dress or the way um, people dress in kerala back maybe uh, in, in the 90s the 80s 70s you wouldn't see a lot of people portraying their you know so called religion um, beat whatever it outside of their house or anything um, i mean the, the symbols of religion would be very less but then right now you see a drastic change everybody is portraying as much as possible what religion they belong to their community some some kind of uh, individualism or i don't know what it is what i i guess it is their identity they just portraying it to such an extent 
that uh, you know it is there I, i guess it is because they want to feel a sense of belonging right now more than ever um, and i guess that is why uh, more people are aligning to the fringes like you earlier said um, that people are aligning to that and uh, the fact that uh, you know earlier policy with regard to law policy anything there was uh, the consideration that minorities were given some kind of consideration all right and the fact that minorities were not completely taken out from the picture here but uh, currently what we are seeing in india and kerala is that there is some kind of um, you know are they getting the perception that minorities are not being taken into account when laws are made when the so called progressiveness that everybody is boasting about is not being taken up and so people are going to the fring- uh, left and the right to such an extent that people are uh, um, you know um, the fringes are being moved up and therefore i guess um, the growth of pfi especially the uh, current um, i guess that's what makes it forth and even uh, after that the current situation in the north to uh, the whole beheadings and everything it is all uh, uh, i guess culminating to that aspect where minorities are not being um, give, are started feeling that they are not being i guess there are a lot of events that happened in between that gave them that perception but you know, as a um, person who's studying policy right now what do you think you know your uh, basic analysis of this is i would like to restrict it to the given issue rather than looking uh-huh. to a holistic point of view so hearing about the situation in kerala as such so the really religious aspect of muslims in kerala has been divided between two political forces one was the uh, indian muslim league mm-hmm. and the on the other side that was the between the left and on the conservative side of it we could see muslim league not so into the religious affairs even though of course they have the power of the 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 muslim right as such while on the left uh, lens see to, it's mainly on the economical side those poor people who are actually aligning with the left but the problem is when inside the community itself there are multiple divisions which are leading to split mm-hmm. in their own right and the left and given that sdp and pfi are stronger especially in places where traditionally muslim league has been strong mm-hmm. so there is resentment within the community as such with pfi playing from the fringe and iuml at least getting some kind of acceptance in the mainstream politics so also avoid lot of people saying to the fact that pf people who associate themselves with pfi are generally those who haven't received any kind of benefit from those policies which were brought in by the muslim league in bringing these minorities to mainstream so there is a it's a polarization and pfi stands for very extreme of what exactly any any extremist organization would stand for so in that sense for them to carry out a rally in a important city of kerala also given the tense situation especially of pfi on how it is seen across india as such mm-hmm. it's quite like it's quite shocking as such 
and also the comments made by a child who was taught by the parents as such i think all these are shocking situation not only for uh, the people who are involved directly in politics or policy or anything as such but also for the general public to be aware of the fact that we are moving from mainstream to the fringe and people are now having really strong opinion on everything so given that there is no middle ground as such everyone just wants to believe in what they want to and they are not ready to compromise or anything so in that sense it's a threat to the communal harmony and the social harmony as such which kerala has been lauded for a very long time in the country i guess that's what i wanted to see as well as in general even the governments didn't want to take much action just to not to interfere themselves because they didn't want to be like okay we are supporting xx or we are supporting yy or in that situation even the governments don't want to interfere whether it be center or the state so what we can see right now is a situation from different religious groups having two different sides one being the more secular and the acceptable side and the other one being a more conservative as well as an extreme fundamental type now we have to see how this plays across the country with the new incidents coming up across different parts of the country and also with some topics which we'll be discussing in the session i i um, i mean especially um, i mean i wouldn't put up names uh, right now but i guess uh, at the end of the day um, you know even though um, the whole religious uh, we are talking about religious um, groups here i guess there is also um, a steep rise in caste based you know um, political outfits you know which i am not framing at this point because um, at the um, at, at the forefront even though religion is playing that shadow i guess like you said within religious aspects caste based political outfits have been taking into account uh, a lot of the issues that came forth and um, and this has been creating um, you know whirlwinds within parties within religious groups and i guess that is something that you know um, will create uh, will have effect in the elections per se in any uh, thing that is going to happen especially with when you talk about uh, religious groups this um, the caste based you know um, div- uh, di- uh, division that people put forth or uh, so called imagine is uh, and the so called names that people give to these particular uh, organizations have uh, been very evident especially um, i guess um, especially in the north of kerala where um, you know there is huge difference between what they are being taught what they are being forced to be uh, i i know uh, forced to be taught in school or what they are forced to be you know uh, doing in their schools and all that and i guess that is why uh, a lot of you know things like this the kid coming forth and putting that statement out in the public and i guess that is why uh, you know that came into forth because a lot of people are forcing it on others to uh, yeah yeah i guess uh, that's what it is but at the end of the day uh being uh, this whole movement or this polarization has been happening for a long time it has been happening uh, in this uh, past 10 years in a very ex- uh, an accelerated and exponential way 
and i am sure that uh, you know the uh, political unrest that we as a country are experiencing right now is because of what started 10 15 years ago as uh, and um, and all these events that are happening are a result of all this i mean and thinking of what may happen uh, i'm not uh, you know not here to predict or uh, you know have any conspiracy theories or anything but i i would you know as an optimist or somebody who you know, uh, would want you know people to think about what they're doing at this particular time right rather than coming together and just blurting out stuff but again at the end of the day oh, we just looking oh, optimistically and looking for what will happen in the future yeah just like you said it was actually caste that actually dominated both kerala and indian politics for a very long time mm-hmm. unless 20 30 years back when religion actually tried to come in and tried to unite these yeah. castes under one particular umbrella mm-hmm. this and that so the religion aspect is quite new new to a lot of people so in that sense whether caste divides the religion or religion unites the caste that has been the question of indian politics for a very long time it's also something which you also have to think a lot should we allow such incidents to continue do we expect people to represent us in them are we going to support a particular entity just because they represent us or we agree to them or should we ignore them or lot of things are there and also given that really religious extremism of one actually justifies with the religious extremism of the other mm-hmm. so it's the hindu right which will now say see what's happening right now see see the muslim right you should be afraid of them and the muslim right say you should be afraid of the hindu right so this will keep continuing as long as there is some kind of way in which bo- anyhow the communities can come together reject the extreme sides of all religions and settle for something more peaceful and something which is more progressive and liberal so next we come to the situation in the country as such with respect to first the most relevant and the evergreen topics that is the decline of the congress party especially in the recent elections right in uttar pradesh punjab goa so how do you see that um and it was very evident from the first again uh, i am not somebody who should be saying this or i am not a political analyst i'm just a student studying a lot of it but from what i've seen or my opinions per se again the the absence of a leader uh, in the congress party is very evident it is uh, within the congress party per se it is very evident and the fact that you know sonia gandhi is still you know um f- trying to congress. yeah acting congress president and uh, f- you know rahul gandhi evading the whole uh, uh, the whole uh, point and the fact that uh, why is um, you know the congress working committee and everybody still relying on the gandhi family is a question right now um the whole point about the decline of the congress even though it has been happening right now it can be attributed to a lot of reasons so being the corruption being one and then the fact that you know people are the anti incumbency uh, um trend that people usually follow um but again 
majorly i guess uh, in this discussion we need to uh, discuss on why um, why we think the congress party doesn't want to change that's something that we got to look into uh, bjp per se um, was wholly a different party between uh, before amit shah or even um, um, i mean when atal bihari was there his whole um, the whole bjp party was a totally different ball game where you had people from you know um, there were sons of um, um, people very rich people who were uh, you know there was very caste based a lot of you know there was even being um, there was not even talk there was no point of tokenism per se bjp was a hindu a uh, uh, representative party back then yeah based on the high caste hindu party, party yeah and today it stands for all kinds of hindus yeah that's what so that uh, we see there is some kind of change that happened and that was change at least uh, in paper or when you read it black and white you f- uh, you see that there is some kind of change that they have adopted and that has uh, seen its you know repercussions not repercussions but say effects here throughout india where people have been accepting them for the so called progressive ideology and i guess the congress even though it is lacking at this point uh, has to change but again the discussion here is why do you, why do we think it is not changing so again uh, the congress party we need to look into how the congress party came into for forum especially let's look into a more localized um, aspect in kerala i mean the rest of india is in whole different ball game but here in kerala the congress party uh, it has been about the gandhi family it has been people have been ardent followers of the gandhi family and the so called lineage is being followed here in kerala especially the karnakaran clan um and a couple of clans at that point um i mean to such an extent that uh, ak antony left kerala because he didn't want to you know um uh, put forth that so called clan and he want he never you uh, know that whole controversy was not uh, he didn't want to be a part of it to a certain extent okay may have maybe any relations but it was very evident that uh, the a um, a group of congress did not like the lineage part but then again everybody uh, the whole group play in kerala uh, there was one thing that they all wanted and that was the gandhi clan all right but again um, that may be one uh, reason second reason which i personally think the decline in the congress is because um, there were a lot of um, you know huge huge people uh, stalwarts in politics from the older generation which are still there in the congress party and they are trying to make decisions where there were people who joined the congress party from a very long time who were observing them who are who may have had a big degrees who had more experience in politics who have come back from the outside and a lot of people who you know who have more experience you know trying to change the congress party one bit by and then the all um, and all those people being there and lot of suggestions from them coming in and the uh, you know working committee not accepting them at all yeah uh, and uh, that's that's another thing that came in and the third problem which i see is there is this one guy from kerala who's uh, responsible for the elections throughout uh, throughout india per se you you would know who he is and him being the guy who gets everybody who gets all the mlas for party him being the guy who 
to such an extent people he doesn't even come to kerala and doesn't even interfere with the politics here him being sent to assam him seeing being sent to goa punjab everywhere this one guy going around and doing it so i don't really understand what the uh, congress party is uh, you know aiming at all right is he the person who's you know who should do okay there is no uh, re, uh, you know there is no problem with them doing it or but then is he the one who should be taking forum where is the head there where is that um, you know singular head that they could i mean necessarily it doesn't have to be them but you know uh, that sense of uh, singleness or a sense of togetherness within the party is lost at that point so this is basically like horse trading which everybody looks in yeah, i mean you, even uh, you know everybody uh, happens uh, it happens around india but then uh, to have the congress party do that very explicitly is kind of you know uh, sad on my part uh, it's from from what i see you know with this one guy going and trading people and i mean not trading getting people to support the uh, congress if i sorry for that uh, words over there but yeah this is what i personally feel about what is happening to the congress party being the three points where you know there is uh, the actual politics being played by uh, very few certain people and a lot of lot of poster boys uh, poster appu pens and amamas if i had to put that on all right old people um, you know just sitting there to govern the whole thing and then this whole gandhi legacy that's there is it bad is it good is up it's personal opinion for me i feel it is um, it is time that the congress party has left that a lot of people feel it has left that uh, should leave that prospect but again this is all um, the party's aspect but according uh, as somebody who's been observing them for uh, some time i feel this is what uh, i i'm um, i'm sure jaram has more to say too moreover the congress party has been like a sinking ship mm-hmm. it's sinking slowly and it's not sinking so fast like people think it sinks those who want to leave jump into the water and leave and those who are there on the ship acknowledge that there is some problem that the ship is sinking but they don't know what to do so okay. that is the problem right now some even don't acknowledge it for the long time they acted as if there is no problem and especially coming to kerala there is no grassroots for the party as such beyond few districts and also earlier congress used to be very strong in central kerala which totally has gone mm-hmm. also in lot of districts which actually are the key to power say like kollam thrissur or lot of other districts earlier used to be congress strongholds now see ldf sweeping almost all the seats and also the lack of cadre based structure for the congress party which both the left and the bjp had for a very long time so there is the the difference between other parties and congress party which they haven't been able to thrive and also the lack of ideology what do you stand for today you say you support secularism tomorrow you say we support south hindutva we support nationalism so there is no strong affinity to any particular ideology you just change because you feel that someone else is doing something and you need to copy them so that has been a problem for regional parties that has never been a problem because they stand for the regional identity the regional politics or any particular community they want to pander to and the congress is without any particular community they don't have dalit support they don't have muslim support 
they don't have the high caste people supporting them and minority vote is draining away from the party for a very long time so very few people are actually getting connected to the party as such across the country in kerala it has some hold especially we can see the bipolar we can see how only can do something if they believe that they can do something so i hope they at least revive with that particular lesson taken from bipolar before that we can see even senior leaders defecting from the party line by line in, even in kerala were defection never used to be a thing early people used to stay in that particular party for a very long time uh, even if they have some problem with the party mm. you can see kv thomas leaving the party then dcc secretary leaving the party P, uh, pc chakolier leaving the party even before the election lot of people left the party because they weren't given ticket that never used to happen in kerala now it's a usual game across india and kerala as such so overall the party needs to acknowledge everything whether it be leadership their cadre base support connection to the masses their ideology their positioning everything so they have to fix the ship entirely yeah. maybe even taking a new ship that's what i mean i personally feel i mean before we go into a topic i guess um, this is something that i feel to with regard to this congress but then specifically saying um you know you portrayed you or whatever you said in your conversation was specifically one point about dalits and uh, minority religions not supporting congress at that point so the whole conversation there where i feel is there is this um, um, there is a huge portion of the bha community uh that you know um the bha community or the uh, bahujan adivasi community which support the bjp but policy wise what have they done for the bahujan community is a question is um the question um even more the cheap place by the bjp where they have tokens of um like mere tokens of presidents or whatever that they put forth uh what are they actually or taking in them are they inclusive enough they seem inclusive but are they inclusive enough what are the you know uh, stuff that they been doing is uh, and are they um, you know just pleasing the masses is also a question as such but uh, again um, another point uh, with regard to the bha community that i would like to portray uh, or ask in this, uh, this i mean the conversation would be uh, why do you think that a lot of Uh, people from the belgian community is supporting the bjp outright to such an extent that there has been an increase in the uh, people from bsc community uh, you know um, supporting the sang yeah and being a part of the uh, the whole grassroots travel thing so i guess this is something that we have to dwell upon and understand uh, what you know we um, you know understand why this is happening to understand about why they would not support the congress too so coming to the point where has policy ever been a mandate of the indian election so mm-hmm. policy has never been part of the mainstream election agenda as such mm-hmm. it's not that people vote on based on policy mm-hmm. so most people based uh, vote based on politics or their identity mm-hmm. either these two of course policy might matter unless it affects them particularly mm-hmm. so it has always been a mix of all these things 
and given that identity does matter in indian politics people tend to vote for a party which they feel represents them so that representation factor is very important mm-hmm. and that bjp can do it well market it well and give it to the voter so the voter is not actually going to uh, sit and think if that particular government was good for him or her for that matter but sometimes the voter gets so emotional that he feel that okay i can see that a person has been given a ticket of my particular community mm-hmm. it's really easy for me to vote for them and that person also can either support you or policies in favor of you or either not so he's taking a chance just because he feels connected to that particular identity mm-hmm. so that can be a factor and bjp is a master in doing that i mean to other political parties they haven't given much importance to identity to an extent that other people who feel that we need identity are shifting to bjp mm-hmm. also how different political parties before in the name of caste tried to divide the society and play politics which whether it may be bsp sp bringing in lot of um, caste based politics in it they also have failed the masses and there is also a resentment that we have voted for them a quite lot of time let's give chance to bjp now and also how bjp has tried to bring in the religion card uniting the caste mm-hmm. so that's also an important factor minorities that's a different case as such in lot of places it usually like people who is already on ticket who is a minority mm-hmm. but given in some places where if minority is not there on the ticket it might be the opposition party the immediate like in up mm-hmm. for example there was a massive wave in favor of the samajwadi party and even across different states as you can see tmc mm-hmm. the muslim voters supporting tmc mm-hmm. instead of bjp mm-hmm. so automatically that happened so it has never been a policy focused election and moreover a mix of identity politics and also its power which mm-hmm. caste holds the maximum power which religion holds power that has been and congress is now out of all these they have no idea what exactly they are doing right mm-hmm. now talking about international issues one is directly affecting india and it happened in the early week of june that was when organization of islamic cooperation tried to pull up india for the remarks of the national bjp spokesperson for a remark against uh, prophet mohammed so what what is your view as well as what do you think the foreign relations being played out right now between india and different countries at the point at the particular point i guess again uh, this is uh, you know this is a very purely a religion based you know issue and um uh, like how um, each nation has portrayed i mean um, nobody has publicly came out and resented the government they have said that this uh, you know this uh, particular um, statement by um, uh, the this particular person and uh, as a representative of um as an ex representative of the ba- uh, na- national party here uh, seems to be uh, off is what most of the countries have put forth so i guess um again this is something that most of the um, you know um, countries who are islamic or who have 
um, more population of Islamic uh, population have put forth in their statements. Nobody has, you know, outright blamed country. So, in a foreign policy perspective, I guess this is just uh, the fact that um, it is a religion-based comment, which uh, as an Islamic state, as, uh, as an Islamic state would hurt their particular integrity that they would uh, and um, their constitutional rights that they would uh, you know portray and then uh, i guess that it is bound for them to react like this or else it wouldn't it, it wouldn't be like that i mean uh, generally if some country would stand up uh, against say um, um against say democracy i'm pretty sure the whole uh, the whole world would have something to say about that particular person if he stood if he's a world leader and he stood up against democracy so like that i guess everybody has a stance and that is portrayed and foreign policy point of view i guess this is not going to affect in any point of view because uh, even though indonesia or um in, in indonesia and uh, all these countries have you know um, uh, raised their uh, protest against this particular incident i don't think there uh, any other issue we have been collaborating for a lot of issues even uh, you know scientifically speaking with indonesia i guess uh, we don't see uh, much of a you know uh, much of a um, problem with uh, problem with that or anything that's also foreign policy point of view this is just another situation where other countries have the right to you know protest and uh, where india has to take a stand which it did and uh, you know uh, and this person has been taken out from a particular post that the person was holding and uh, i guess um, we have handled it beautifully that's what i have to say with regard to that so oic is like one of the largest organizations as such because it has over 50 members and after the un i think it's an organization with this much members so in that sense oic has had its own power play but oic has always taken a stand that we won't interfere in domestic affairs of different countries but now as per them we can say it was the issue of profit mm -hmm. so they were like it's not it's no more your domestic affair it also affects us in that sense, a lot of countries came in that particular sense that we need to say something about it. Earlier, we can see they also took a lot of stand with major issues in France, US, or especially in the West. Not mm -hmm. exactly that they went to went against a country that's in the East. Mm -hmm. Even though we can see OIC still not agreeing to condemn China mm -hmm. on the Xinjiang issue. Yeah. So, in that sense we can see okay that's not a big issue but again it was a big issue with respect to a debate that mm -hmm. happened on television in india which was telecasted mostly in india but also given that people use internet and such channels are available across the world some people might have got attention onto this particular statement and this reached there so i guess we can't draw an exact line between freedom of speech the right to offend and also blasphemy mm -hmm. all depends on the domestic laws and what it is and it is also shocking to see that the government actually took some action only when some countries raised some objection it's not because any person inside the country so we can also see how the even the government wants to make this issue that we will take action only if some uh, people have objection mm -hmm. not exactly because the larger public has some issue with it so that's also something which I particularly see as 
some surprising although it's not so surprising i know how exactly this government is going to react yeah i i, I mean that's perfectly how you put it you know um, there is a uh, uh, there is uh, yc has some kind of effect here obviously with a uh, lot of you know um, lot of you know trade and everything happening with the countries there but again um, you know the actual question being uh, why would you know um you know this being a small incident here and uh, again uh, is it um you know is it necessary you know apart of going way away from what my earlier opinion was is it necessary for countries to put forth their religious you know um, sentiments over um you know foreign policy or foreign relationships i'm not t- telling that something like that happened but then for the sake of this conversation um can we just analyze that question do you think that you know is it is necessary for uh, countries to put their is uh, their religious sentiment or whatever they stand uh, their so called religious stand before the um, foreign uh, policy or, or their relationships with other countries i don't think it has never been a case of uh, foreign relation being sabotaged just because it's a relation issue in that case the world shouldn't be trading with china or any east country or even mm-hmm. saudi arabia per se mm-hmm. see even us and uk have been trading weapons with saudi arabia for a very long time mm-hmm. and also how islamic countries are lot dependent on china mm-hmm. so if it was a case of religion it's they would have shunned their ties a long time back but it's about uh, selfish interests of different countries and how realistic they are they know that it's not about religion it's about trade it's about policy it's about economy that's more important and it's about the relations with different countries so that is why even when at a time when ukraine and russia are fighting we can see a lot of people supporting russia mm-hmm. it's not because they have any lack of uh, symp- uh, sympathy towards ukraine as a country other countries feel that they are not going to get anything by supporting ukraine instead if they are supporting russia russia might help them with weapons russia might will help them with cheaper oil so you can see countries they want to expand their selfish interest they want to expand their power so it was never about morality in the first place mm-hmm. so also we can see india used to project itself as a vibrant democracy we are a melting pot of cultures mm-hmm. we are an inclusive democracy mm-hmm. and in that sense as a, even as a secular country so for a secular country a democratic country for a country with dif- different people diversity for a person of the national political party to make such a remark is outrageous mm-hmm. and that can be pointed out even a lot of west countries might point it out mm-hmm. but these islamic countries most of them are not even democracies so they have never claimed themselves to be the champion of freedom democracy or the mm-hmm. communal harmony or anything like that and also we can see how uae saudi arabia have changed a lot they are co- trying to come to the mainstream they have given right to women mm-hmm. earlier that was not the case they are trying to bring in lot of people from other religion so in that sense when these countries are moving on the progressive side should india be on the regressive side that's also something which these countries are indirectly trying to point out even uae and bahrain mm-hmm. they have started having ties with israel they are worst enemy in mm-hmm. the past yeah 
so when they are progressing should india be regressive that's mm-hmm. also another question yeah i mean at the end of the day um, i mean the whole point about you putting it as aggressive is the answer to what you've answered to i guess about your question so i guess it's again um it, it can boils down to what the bjp wants to do with india and the so called um, akhand bharat that they want to put forth and uh, you know recently um you know making um, bah- uh, the uh, nation first the um, honorable you know um, amit shah would have to put that in his words but again uh, ca- coming back to um, what the you know yc would wanted to do when um, i guess that is one thing that they wanted to portray uh, but moving on from there uh, is it really necessary is it really necessary for such an action to be taken inside india per se does it have to blurt out i mean like you said earlier this was an incident that happened in india in a uh, so called national um, you know it was a clip that was brought out on twitter yeah just like the incident that happened a couple of, it is just a clip that brought out but then uh, did it have to blow up who blew blew it up what happened is again uh, i guess we as indians Uh, missed it to a large extent and uh, i guess we blew it up again some of us blew it up to such an extent that it had created because i i, I there are a lot of other issues that happened at the same time you know there are a lot of issues that have been happening a lot of people i mean especially in the uh, you know media here um in kerala but let's say the most progressive state in in air quotes <laughs> i mean in the sense people have been putting out um, blatant horrible uh, opinions over there and nobody has called them out there is no uh, outcry over there i guess this just blew up somehow or the other and creates the stir but i guess at the end of the day it has created an international uh, interna- international movement of countries against india it has created issues in india which has it is a political instability but uh, again um, we have to discuss on how this political instability what are, what will you know it will create further on and how as you know um, how as people who are studying policy or who are you know, looking into what how you know uh, as policy makers and uh, policy students who, you know the people will prevent what will happen in future or what are the worst case scenarios that can happen and how we can prevent that as such okay it also has to do with some part how india as such domestically Mm-hmm. the population is ready to accept that remark mm-hmm. and it was acceptable to a lot of people mm-hmm. and they themselves should have been uh, supporting and putting or trying to make sure that this is forwarded more to a lot of people mm-hmm. and that might have caused some people who are against it to blow it to another proportion yeah. although we cannot say that someone did it deliberately in that sense so yeah yeah i guess that too but at the end of the day uh, we just hope again that such an incident shouldn't occur from a person in such a state and india being um, you know india being bjp being there and india being such a pluralistic country i guess you know people should refrain from making such statements even though they now i guess uh, you know um, so the move. next issue is with respect to the world economic forum that happened at davos mm-hmm. and the main issue 
or the main agenda itself was ukraine russia and how it affects the international economy so how do you think it's being played out right now and the entire world is discussing one particular issue mm-hmm. and also the economic fears of inflation the food shortage the the high price of crude oil everything being centered to one particular issue and Uh, yeah it is true as in um, the whole ukraine russia issue that we have been talk about i guess you know most most of the listeners here would have some kind of you know background about what happened but uh, with regard to the uh, the world economic forum and how they discussed i guess the um, whatever they um, put forth during the discussion was very valid to a, a certain extent where you know they um, i mean the inflation part is something that we need to look into inflation uh, currently uh, currently a lot of econo- uh, economists have put forth about the inflation and um, and then uh, people have been predicting that there is going to be another uh, great decline decline economic decline that happened a couple 2008 that kind of an issue where a lot of people were going to lose uh, jobs and all that so this general uh, uh, you know is something that we need to look out for but as um as students i'm not sure how we well, well we can comment about what is going to happen or how infl the effects of inflation are very uh, put forth or the causes can be you know very well put forth by people around but again uh, we we what we can uh, converse here is what can cause and how what uh, till what extent it can go so um for looking into inflation we'll have to look into what ukraine will uh, ukraine as a country in this you know um, war will uh, have to face you know as a country after the war if at all that is a case you know the, the economic uh, powerhouse or at least at some point uh, ukraine was a very uh, good place where you you know a lot of Uh, children from india and rest of the world are going to study medicine a lot of money was being made a lot of businesses being run there were startups being put out of ukraine yeah and uh, but at this point you know the inflation and um, and the full economic drudge i have to put it as a drudge rather than a um, decline because um, you know it is going to affect ukraine as front and another what ukraine is going to do in the for uh, in the later years is going to be an issue at unless and until some uh, businesses kind of start and i guess they are going in the right direction with uh, businesses even uh, they say richard branson was in ukraine a couple of days ago and then um, and then um, a lot of they are pulling people and showing people what ukraine has happened is happening to ukraine and things like that but that is one aspect of what uh, we can look into the regarding inflation but looking into um, what the other countries have to have is uh, specifically with regard to the prices of, of fossil fuels or let's say crude oil let's move into just that small pocket so looking into uh, crude oil i guess uh, as uh, somebody you know, who knows the gulf and been there i guess it was as cheap as water and now it's very expensive let's say in the uae where it was 5 dirhams per gallon per liter of uh, petrol uh, yesterday when i checked so i guess this is something that you know everybody will affect in the uh, world where you know, this is that uh, economic decline that the economists were talking about 
and this trend uh, will go on for some time because of the whole covid issue and this war i guess this is going to go forth but again the question is from where else can you fund the crude oil from is venezuela ready to give the fuel is some african country ready to give it the question hmm? is are people ready to buy from iran Uh, is uh, our sanctions going to be taken off iran the question arises because of this what single commodity called crude oil and the repercussions uh, you know if people can take up uh, a couple of you know uh, sanctions of iran and some african countries i'm pretty sure the whole uh, uh, inflation rate would go down to a particular zone. and the fact that saudi arabia has put an extra amount of fuel under reserve has been also creating this kind of inflation in fuel very well even the U- even though us has uh, you know released a couple of you know maybe a million um, barrels of um, um, fuel out from their reserve saudi arabia which is one of the biggest suppliers of uh, fuel throughout the world have put their own reserves as in some as a country which has been releasing reserves on for uh, on for decades for the first time in many years saudi arabia has been you know putting their reserves back and holding it back to creating this so called increase in price so again this is a question for the p5 or particularly for the p5 to take decisions on the sanctions again and um, pointing fingers at each other will not happen in uh, europe saying that india is buying fuel and that is how russia is getting the money to fund the war is not going to happen but especially in uh, in the raisna dialogue is, is what i heard right a couple of um, where the sj shankar said this out so uh, i guess this is what uh, is all about so again um, china buying uh, fuel from russia we don't have any other options where else can we go to for fuel and it is very necessary for us to again um, moving um, we might have to improve our sustainable energy sources and all that but how effective is it in a country like india is a question mark and how effective is our infrastructure development is another question but you know this is what uh, you know I, the, again with regard to what we are discussing here it all boils down if a couple of countries venezuela and um, um, iran is able to individually sell their fuel to countries and i guess what is your opinion about that especially iran and venezuela because these are some countries that i guess uh, everybody looks up to as somebody who uh, not uh, replace russia but at least to such extent you know curb the shortage yeah i think these both countries being crude oil rich countries as well as for gas as well i think maybe lifting sanctions would help especially sanctions on venezuela has been on some frivolous charges by us yeah although by the same logic we can also say that uh, sanctions are bad at because they are slapped at russia but i can't say that just because uh, it's like that but the venezuelan issue has been on the uh, basis of a bit more humanitarian issue just like the issue of russia and iran but iran it has been more related with its uh, nuclear program that it has to sort out bring out the jcpoa which the trump administration had sabotage some up to an extent at least that some sanctions can be lifted at the same time there is some restriction on the 
nuclear program if if that's possible then countries can buy a bit more cheaper oil but even that opec as such doesn't is not interested in reducing the oil prices because they are getting mm-hmm. record profits that's all also even though india is buying cheaper oil from russia there is no repulse effect on indian consumers because they are still paying the same price yes. so what is the implication that even if india is buying some cheap oil it does that the government is making more money from the taxes so that's also a question that we have to ask and given that sanctions although they may not work brilliantly as people expect it to be some sanctions can be lifted from both russia i don't think we need to take it take it off immediately but of course iran and venezuela we can give some relief as such mm-hmm. and also joe biden wants to visit saudi arabia of course this would be a topic of discussion of course for sure also the internal politics in usa which is now against saudi arabia now saudi arabia is tactically trying to choke usa with high fuel prices so that us is on a bargaining chip mm-hmm. now what happens is usa will have to make some negotiation with saudi arabia maybe more trade selling more weapons to saudi arabia which the democratic party has been criticizing saudi arabia for a very long time now again moving back to the old normal us foreign policy of selling weapons even putting more weapons in europe right now even the companies in usa are making record profits right now because of the war so the war might go on for a much more period of time and at the end what western countries want is to weaken russia I, again do you think that it is going to be another yemen or do you think it is going to be uh, another iraq or uh, i mean is it going to be like that uh, at the end of the according to what the ukraine mean? or russia ukraine obviously russia U- ukraine the problem still would continue in the eastern part of ukraine mm-hmm. which has russian separatists mm-hmm. so if the war continues in this particular fashion what might happen is russia would get weakened mm-hmm. and the ukrainian border would be highly unstable and that would be a threat to russia as well as to europe so it would be like a area with infinite war mm-hmm. just like what we have in different parts of the world especially in kashmir with mm-hmm. both sides playing a proxy war now it would be a new type of proxy war between the ukrainian side and the russian side the separatists of that particular region but although we don't know how far russia is able to prolong the war mm-hmm. russia is getting weaker day by day but at the same time it's able to make some gains because it's a level land and unlike earlier when the fight was in kiev and kharkiv were the ukrainians were able to push back now it's directly at a fort where russia can play it very well mm-hmm. so russia is making quite a lot of gain so who will win or will ukraine try somehow to negotiate and give up something mm-hmm. in turn for something else that's also something we have to see but at least inflation might continue especially food because mm-hmm. both ukraine and russia are big exporters of food also sunflower oil fertilizers so all these are going to have repulsive effect on different different countries and earlier india said that it would export wheat now it has put an a uh, ban on export of wheat now we are also facing food inflation mm-hmm. so countries are going to cap their own markets right now 
and some countries will go into a famine i understand that um, there are very specifically you know um, as a repercussion of the food inflation that you currently brought up i am uh, thinking about it in a very you know very logical sense uh, think about it um, there is food inflation um so when food hesitation uh, happens um, what happens is people um, there is a um, you know agricultural issue that takes place when there is a um, you know um, so then what happens is a lot of pesticides and uh, fertilizers are used uh, so um, deviating a bit from the conversation um, don't you think that um, this will create a much more of an ecological disaster or we are hit um, you know moving towards that Uh, akin to what happened after the green revolution in india where a lot of farmland after you consistent use of fertilizers and pesticides uh, were growing barren for many years so you do you think that we are moving from a state of extended uh, from a uh, from a period of um, you know um, uh, short famine to uh, a global um a global issue of food crisis if i have to put it as food crisis because of ecological consequences of whatever we are doing right now because of logical you know this is just a you know made up scenario i understand but again don't you think that that may happen too it will directly be possible to answer only if we know in which country actually this crisis will happen say if, if it happens in a country which has been growing food for the rest of the world say like russia what will happen if the fields in russia will have to face some particular crisis so in that situation all those countries which are dependent on that particular country are at a disadvantage just like right now were countries which were being dependent on ukraine mm-hmm. are now facing a lot of crisis yeah. so especially it's, it's the middle eastern countries that are being affected especially those who can't grow anything because most of their land is desert and they don't have fertile land so what will they do so that's another question and also how different experiments on organic food including the example of sri lanka has deliberately failed so are countries going to take a risk right now especially in a crisis situation that's also something we have to note for in general when there is some kind of uncertainty countries would go with the safest option mm-hmm. so what is the safest option more pesticides and more so they can set up more industries in their own country and start building their industries maybe within 4 to 5 years or even 10 years they might get some return mm-hmm. these countries would like to be more self sufficient in that sense mm-hmm. rather than moving to something more egalitarian way of looking yeah true um, again so this goes um, i mean this conversation i guess Uh, i'm sure um, we have a bit more to do but again uh, moving back again to the whole discussion there is um, this whole concept where um, ecological aspects or uh, crises that are happening because of our actions or previous generations actions have we been you know um, um, paying whatever uh, you know repercussions that are happening right now and uh, don't you think that whatever the so called easiest way out is using fertilizers and all that isn't it going to create some kind of uh, issues in the future i know it is going to it is something which is logical and may happen uh, but the question is uh, again this is a very policy oriented question but again um, uh, is ecology or um, the environment taking a back seat in uh, 
for policy makers or is it something that people don't pay any attention to given the current scenario it's a mix of both mm-hmm. in that sense policy makers need not uh, be aware too much about uh, what's happening uh, in the environment sense even if they are aware of it mm-hmm. they may not have to bear the consequences say like uh, you can say what i might be living for another 50 60 years mm-hmm. i may not be interested in say what uh, what might happen after 100 years so i might say look what i'm going to do right now i'm going to do right now i'm not going to care about the future mm-hmm. another sense is something where you can't do anything much about it say like the crude oil scenario where we have to be dependent on it so mm-hmm. what will you do there you can or the most you can make is make some small small sacrifices but at the end you are going to stick there so that's also an important question and of course as far as countries are concerned the most important thing for them is their public opinion what their countries want their interests and environment is always on the back seat maybe at the most the last seat at maximum even the ukraine the crisis issue no one is talking about the ecological impact mm-hmm. and also we can see how war as such is really a disaster for the environment burning of oil wells mm-hmm. so all these no one wants to talk about it maybe p- countries might want to talk about the increase in prices or the shortage so what's important for the countries countries will continue to talk and rest is kept away from the mainstream media so, so they are also going to talk a bit about the quad summit that had happened in earlier june and the most important thing was that it was the first quad summit with uh, us president joe biden then pm modi being present and also the new prime minister from japan as well as the new prime minister from australia so how do you think the quad trying to reshape itself with lot of uncertainties starting from a long period of time when such an alliance was thought in mind and it's different governments have changed and different scenarios across geopolitics have changed and how do you see it right now i guess i mean uh, with the current scenario as such the foreign policy with with regard to what people were talking about and um, looking at how, what india china relations are right, right now as somebody you know um, as somebody like you who's been studying the china relations with india i guess uh, you know um, it's kind of Uh, very weird to have the quad at this point of time even though uh, you know it is a block which was created as an anti china initiative uh, it, uh, it what it can achieve right now is a question with uh, the prime minister in australia being uh, blatantly anti india anti modi if i have to put uh, um, put put forth and the japanese prime um, being a bit more conservative and the uh, you know again uh, with regard to them i guess um, there can be cooperation again with the quad doing um, it is mostly i would per- personally feel or i from the facts i guess it's more of a, uh, a defense you know defense oriented um, um, collaboration rather than an economic one according to what we see as on well. uh, and again this is something that um, you know india wanted to have 
against China and uh, with the current geopolitical issues um, what the court can offer to the world is something that we have to wait and watch but again uh, this some uh, at this current juncture the uh, quad has uh, you know failed to understand where it stands is what the influence is because um, what the quad can achieve uh, is something and what it uh, what ha- it has is much less than what it was meant for so that's what uh, i feel about the quad i mean over to you jana so quad is nothing but a four set of countries which are democracies and perhaps the very important democracies in that particular region leaving aside us but us has had a great influence on the asia pacific region and us has been trying to put forward the center of geopolitics shifting from mm-hmm. the eurocentric mm-hmm. or even away from the middle east and the cr- present issue is r- right now in asia pacific or even we can say indo pacific mm-hmm. so in that sense we can say quad has some relevance but up to an what extent because it doesn't have a proper structured Sorry, framework true. so that issue and also whether it's defensive mm-hmm. because we already have aukus mm-hmm. the australia mm-hmm. uk us, US, uh, US based directly on uh, defense issue then mm-hmm. what is india doing because india doesn't have much interest in defense deals in that particular aspect but india is interested in purchase of technology and those things so quad doesn't have a particular structure and also quad refuses itself to be aimed at china it explicitly doesn't say that although we know that is the intention mm-hmm. and any country doesn't at present want to anger china mm-hmm. because of the issue in ukraine as such mm-hmm. how russia has been supported by china even china doesn't want to be a supporter of uh, russia but china has to do it mm-hmm. because of its pressure so even india doesn't want to anger china and india doesn't want to anger russia and china doesn't want india to side with us so what can china do china doesn't have any option india doesn't have any option so we are in a form of deadlock right now totally. and quad has lost its relevance especially after the 2020 the galwan issue where mm-hmm. there was some support for quad that china is doing this china is doing that also given that we still have issues with china on the border mm-hmm. but at the same time there has been some reconciliation with the brics mm-hmm. summit where india talked with both russia and china at the same time india is doing it same with us australia and japan so it's a mixed messaging mm-hmm. but it's a messaging against china mm-hmm. in support of democracy the freedom of navigation in the region and of course in the way in which the us wants to build up alliances and be against whichever hegemony is there right now mm-hmm. so i guess that's it from our side hope you liked our new initiative and before winding up ashwin do you have anything to say i mean thank you so much for you know inviting uh, me here and it was a great uh, conversation you know you might hear a, a, a smaller version of what we had but it was a great conversation uh, thank you so much jara thank you ashwin for taking off your time and coming here that too for an offline recording session and thank you listeners for listening us out and do let us know your comments and feedback on our new initiative and if you want to listen to more such episodes in future thank you once again